Man, it's such a sweet anointing. I'm going to start talking to you right now about Timeless Part 3, and I won't get into it too long because my whole goal is that you experience God, that you get something every time you come on this property, that you're fed by the Lord. And today I want to talk to you about Timeless 3, and that it is this. It is not your battle. Say, it's not my battle. See, a lot of times we think we're in a fight, and it's our fight. We forget that greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. We forget that the battle's already been fought and the battle's already been won. Jesus defeated Satan and he defeated him. He defeated death. He defeated hell and he defeated the grave. And what he's trying to do is get you and I in agreement with him. You see, that's what he's wanting. That's what this whole time of 21 days of prayer and fasting, it's not to go on a diet. It's about re, re, uh, just stepping back from things that pleasure us, food or certain kinds of food or sweets or whatever it is, other things. Some are doing TV or social media, whatever it is. As you begin to pull back from things so you can hear with better spiritual hearing and greater spiritual ears. So I want you to realize it's not your battle. God said 2017 is just going to be an amazing year of breakthrough and a victory, a year to take the limits off your family, off your finances, off your health, off your relationships. It's going to be a year that we see family revival. It's going to be a year that we see personal, corporate, and even national revival. But we got to hear the voice of God. We got to hear the Good Shepherd and begin to walk in the destiny that he's called us to walk in. We don't have to create something new, make something new. We just need to get in the flow with what the Holy Spirit's doing and what God's voice is telling us to do. You know, last week, you know, I continued talking about this, the timeless pattern as I've been sharing with you, and that timeless pattern that Jesus established, prayer, fasting, and giving. is throughout the Bible. And the more we focus on the timeless pattern of Christ Jesus, the more that we will continue to taste and see more and more victory. You see, you got to make a choice. you got to make a choice. Am I going to agreement with God over my circumstances, or am I just going to sit and worry about my circumstances and try to change my circumstances? You see, I, I'm not saying that you, you don't work hard and you don't believe and you don't pray and you don't do what you're supposed to do in a natural, but I'm saying if you're thinking that it's by your strength and by your might, you're limiting your ability. You're limiting yourself. This whole thing is about you using the timeless pattern of God to remove the limitations on your life, to remove the limitations on the spiritual life of you and your family and of your city and of your nation. It's, it, it's up to you to say, okay, God, I'm going to get in agreement with you and then trust him. That's what faith is, knowing and trusting God. So today I want to take a few minutes and I want to talk to you, man, about maybe you're in a rut. Maybe you find yourself in a rut, in some kind of situation, a rut in your health or your finances or relationships. I don't know what it is, but you find yourself in a rut, maybe a rut of fear or oppression or depression, addiction, whatever that rut is. And it just seems like you'll be going on okay in life, and then you'll just get in a rut. Maybe it's a rut of religion, just not expecting any new surprises or any new things from God. It's just kind of been this way, and this is the way it'll always be. Do I go home, I guess? No, no, no. God set you in an earth that's unpredictable and full of surprises. And the key is, is that you and I stay in tune with him and in tune to his spirit and his will to move forward together 
in his faith, in his power, and in the victory he's established for us already. Look with me, if you would, in Jehoshaphat, <clears throat> Jehoshaphat chapter, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I want to talk to you a few minutes about fasting. Fasting, or this timeless pattern of fasting, prayer, and giving, is a powerful tool that God's given you and I to get out of any rut we're facing and to step over into total victory. Not just a little victory, but total victory. And the way that happens is the first principle you got to learn when you're needing total victory is this, is that fasting reminds us is that the battle is not ours, but God. Fasting reminds us the battle is not ours, but God. And we can't see that in any other place that's better than Jehoshaphat, here, whenever he is the king of the nation of Israel in Second Chronicles 20, and he's a good king, but he'd, he had uh, been bringing back the principles of God and the culture that God wanted in Israel because Israel had been backslidden, and, and, uh, and he's bringing it back. But then Jehoshaphat got out in his own flesh and made some dumb decisions. And by that, God told him he was not pleased with him. And he finds himself here in chapters uh, in chapters 2 and 3, he finds himself to where the enemy of Syria, made up of three nations of ites, were coming to utterly wipe them off the face of the earth. And Jehoshaphat's standing there, and he begins to pray to God, and he realizes that, wow, I've stepped over, you know, I don't know how this is going to work out, but it doesn't look like our nation is going to make it. This could be the day that we're wiped off the face of the earth. So let's jump right in there. Let's jump in here in uh, chapter 20, 2 Chronicles 20. And let's look here about verse 3. It said, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Now, right before this, I like what Jehoshaphat did a little earlier in that chapter. It says, He began to remind God of all the great things he'd done for Israel. He began to remind God of all the great things. And he talked about how God had delivered him this way and how God had moved for him in this situation and that situation. What was he doing? He was, get, he was operating in a form of praise and worship and prayer, praise prayers. He was doing a thing called thanksgiving. He began to thank God, giving thanks to God for what God had already done. Man, God, you delivered our nation. Man, you saved us and set us free here. If it wasn't for you there, God, if you hadn't moved there, we wouldn't even be here today to even pray. And he was giving thanks to God. You see, thanksgiving is the doorway that opens up the inner place, the inner sanctum of God, the heart of God, the will of God over your life. And as he began to give thanks, then it put him in a position to pray with faith. You see, when you start, you can find yourself depressed or in a bad situation, a bad rut in life. And when you start giving thanks, all of a sudden, I promise you, you'll feel faith stir in you. Knowing and trusting God to just stir in you. That's why we're encouraging you to get down at least a song or two and just worship God because you'll start giving thanks to God even if your flesh doesn't feel like it. And all of a sudden, before you go back to your seat, you'll feel the presence and you'll feel the Spirit of God rising up in you. And that's what Jehoshaphat was doing. And then what he did, once he was ready to ask God in faith to move on their behalf, then he begins to declare some things because he had to hear God first. 
And it says, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. Now remember, I talked to you last week in Joel 2, when they proclaimed a fast, God said afterward he would pour out a new anointing, a new fresh spirit, an anointing of God, and they would go into revival. And their young men would dream dreams and uh, see visions, and their old men would dream dreams. And that the sons and daughters, all the sons and daughters would prophesy. Talking about a powerful move of God. And it happened also in Acts 2. They were quoting that scripture actually. It says, so then Judah gathered together to ask from the Lord. And from the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Now all of Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. They came to the temple and in the city there and they began to worship and they began to fast. Worship and fast and pray. Worship and fast and pray. Giving and worship and fasting and praying. Now, everyone was fasting and praying, even the children. And then drop down to verse 15. And he said, God said to Judah, he said, Listen, all of Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat. Now they got the shepherd's ear, and he's going to speak to them. He thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid or dismayed. You know, man, when you're the one getting past due in the mail, when you're the one trying to find a place to live because you're losing your house or your apartment, when you're the one that can't pay the bills so you can go to the doctor to get the medication you need, when you're the one that, that you know, your spouse just walked out on you, when you're the one that just messed up maybe and destroyed your marriage, when you're the one that your kids are those kids that you said you didn't want those kids to be, when you're in that circumstance, when you're in those kinds of situations when you're in those kinds of ruts you need to hear from God and the first advice God gives you is don't fear don't fear fear f-e-a-r false evidence appearing real in other words when I put my attention on my circumstances good or bad because they're never as good as what God can do for me versus putting my focus on God and what he's done and what he will do on my behalf and here's what he said don't be dismayed or discouraged or down he said, for the battle is not yours. Say, the battle's not mine. I want you to get on your mind or heart what one or two big things you're believing for. I told you to pick at least three big things for this fast to believe for. I want you to just keep that in front of you because remember, it's not your battle. It's the Lord's battle. He said, position yourselves. That's what this time of prayer, fasting, worship, and giving, that's what it does. This pattern poisons you. It positions you to hear God and to get wisdom. He says, uh, Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear, be dismayed. Tomorrow, everybody say tomorrow. He said, tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Now you got to realize it's three huge nations that God is saying, go out against them. He's saying, go out against them. And, and, and if you read on there, he said, go out against them and, and, and send your, your, your praise team first, your Judah, Judah worshipers first, and, and say, go down by the rock Ziz and wait there. And whenever they went down by the rock Ziz and they're waiting and they sent their praise team out, they didn't go over to the camp where these three armies of these nations that made up Syria were, which outnumbered them way more than three to one. And they, they just thought, man, God, if you don't move, we're done. And all of a sudden, while they're fasting and worshiping and praising God, 
That night, they knew as soon as the sun came up, the fight was on. In the middle of the night, they heard some arguing. They heard some cursing and some fighting going on. And what had happened, God confused the enemy and through their own offense, their own bitterness and their own unforgiveness, they couldn't even come united to wipe out little old tiny Israel. And they got in a tussle, they got in a family feud that night and destroyed one another to tens of thousands of them in the middle of the night had killed each other and there was not one living because the battle's the Lord's. He didn't kill them. He just allowed them to be confused and through their own evil hearts turned on one another. The Bible says that the children of Israel went in at daybreak to pick up the spoil, the riches and the jewelry and the things that, that those people had on them because they had raided so many cities and nations. And they went in and, and they not only did they not have to fight the battle and their nation saved, it took them three days to gather the riches and spoils of the enemy. In 24 hours, God had turned sure destruction into ultimate prosperity. He had turned sure fear into ultimate faith. He took limitations of we may not be alive in a day. Our wives will be stolen and put in slavery or raped or abused. Our children will be put into slavery and, and we'll be killed. But guess what? In 24 hours when they gave the battle to the Lord and kept themselves tied into God, he took the limits off. What do you need the limits taken off in your life? What are you tolerating? Because what you tolerate you will never change. What is it that at one time you perceive to be special and great? You know, because what you perceive to be good, that great at one time, if you allow yourself to make it just average or normal later, you'll soon replace it with something or someone else. And that's the way it is with church. That's the way it is with your walk with God. That's the way it is with your friends, your family, your finances, your career, your ministry. Whatever it is, you can't let anything that was once precious to you just to become ordinary. This is a year to break out of the ordinary. But you don't break out of the ordinary by things becoming ordinary. You break out of the ordinary when you're in the ordinary, believing for the extraordinary. Oh, that was good. If Somebody could have shouted right there. Somebody could have shouted right there. Now let's look at another great person who shows us the power of this pattern of prayer, fasting, and giving. Let's look at David. David in Psalm 34. In Psalm 34, David shares with us that fasting magnifies God and his promises rather than the enemy. When we fast, when we pray, when we give, and we worship, what happens is we begin to magnify God and his person and his presence, and he becomes bigger than anything we're facing or anyone we're facing. Now, in Psalm 34, David wrote this psalm, a song, uh, when he was running from Saul, hiding in the enemy's land, running for his life. And as he's running for his life and hiding out in the rocks, it looks like surely he's going to die and all those with him, he begins to write this beautiful psalm. It begins in verse 1. He said, I will bless the Lord at all times. What? I'll bless the Lord when the king I served is trying to kill me. My father-in-law is trying to kill me. He's not just trying to kill me. He's bringing uh, over 100,000 men after me, armies of the Lord. He's turning everybody against me. 
He said, I will bless the Lord when? Not just in the good times, not just when the church anointing is nice and high and the praise team's out there, pastor's giving us a nugget. No, no, no. I will praise God on the front row at the funeral home. I will praise God even in bank, uh, bankruptcy court. I'll praise God even whenever the enemy's trying to destroy my family. I'll praise God anyway because I know no weapon formed against me will prosper if I will put God be above my circumstances. But your friends, your spouse, nobody can do that. Your preacher can't do that. You have to make a decision to put God above every circumstance and obstacle that you're facing. And here's what he said. And his, God's praise, shall continually be in my mouth. Then he says in verse 3, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Now he's trying to encourage you and I. You see, a novice couldn't do this. A, a novice Christian would be, Oh, Lord. Oh, they wouldn't be writing a psalm. They wouldn't be writing a worship song, Rory, when they had somebody trying to kill them and trying to kill their family, would they? A novice wouldn't be able to handle that. The sad thing is a lot of saints that are not novices can't handle it because we still live in the ruts of the past and the ruts of the present instead of putting God, the circumstances we're facing in the hands of God and seeing it through His eyes instead of our eyes. Hmm. So, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Oh, taste and see. Taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who trusts him. He said, man, as you worship, as you fast, as you pray, as you give, that what happens is you begin to magnify God. See, I brought a little magnifying glass this morning. My eyes look big. I don't know. My eyes look big to you, or see the interesting thing. You know, you kid playing with a magnifying glass. Sometimes when you get older, you're looking at something with a magnifying glass. You know what I'm saying? So you're, you're looking at a magnifying glass does not change the size of what you're looking at. It just changes the way you see it and expands your vision of it. See, a lot of people say, well, Lord, I prayed and I fasted and I believed and I gave it to you. And, oh, God, that, that, that disease looks bigger. Oh, I'm praying, Lord, I'm fasting. Oh, look at that checkbook, God. Oh, look at that bank account, Lord. Oh, it's, not, it's just still getting worse and worse. Oh, God, I've been believing for this relationship to work out. Oh, God, oh, oh Lord, oh, I can't even look. Now. It's worse than ever. And the more you look at that, the bigger your circumstance gets and the farther away you get from God. So he didn't say do magnify the problem. He said magnify the Lord. Oh, my God. What? I got, I got a problem with my finances? Well, I'm going I'm I'm to fast and pray and give, and I'm going to sow, and I'm going to believe, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to do whatever's put in front of me. It doesn't matter if I have to go back to being a custodian. Whatever I do, if I do what I can do, and I magnify and give God thanks in the midst of the trial, if I magnify and bless God even in the midst of my situation, and I don't allow broken relationships, I don't allow fear or offense, I don't allow poverty or religion, I don't allow anything to take my eyes off the Lord. Guess what? He becomes so much greater and bigger in my eyes than my situation, than my circumstance, that I will be able to snap my fingers and break the limits off that the enemy would put on. But see, the problem is the church doesn't realize that we have the power to feed God. Let me close with this. 
We don't have the power. We don't understand. Not only do we have the power to magnify God, you, don't, you have the power to feed God. You're like, feed God? How could I feed God? Oh, it's, all, it's in the Bible. How could I feed the Lord? I mean, I'm just this little speck. Well, you know, my boys don't walk around my house when they're getting in my refrigerator and eat gas money or something and feel like, they don't feel like no speck. They would, they would ask me for the last penny I had. Why? Because they're my sons. Dad, you got another 20? Thought you had a job, son. Yeah, but you know, I just, you know, don't want to spend all my money. <laughs> so you'll just spend all my money. They're not shy about asking daddy for money. They're not shy about asking me for something I have. Why? Because I'm the father. But there's things they do that feed me. When I see them worship God, when I see them doing their best to live the best they can, when I, when I see them reach out to other students and other people and have them over to the house and love on them all weekend, or when I see them, yeah, I see some things where they're not perfect, but I, I, I focus on those good things. I, I focus on them, and man, it feeds the father's heart. You know what I'm saying? My, my mama said, my prayer is I want all my kids to graduate high school and not be in jail. And she got her prayer. And I mean, you know, I can tell you the backstory, and you'd know what a miracle that really is. But I'm just telling you, man, that she trusted God and got that and way more than that. And I want you to realize is if you will trust God and keep the magnification on him and not on the situation, you'll get way more than what you're even asking for or believing for right now. What you're asking for, I'm just telling you, is too small. You're just settling for less, and you don't have to. Because you don't realize how much you feed God. Whew, that's a strong statement, isn't it, preacher? How, how, how do I feed God? Well, well, here's how you feed God. <clears throat> we feed God and our faith. Whenever we walk in faith, which is knowing and trusting the Father, when we feed God how it starves our unbelief. And God, I mean, I, it'd break my heart if my sons didn't believe in me. If my sons didn't believe in Steph and I to think that we loved them or that we'd be there in a tough time for them. We remind them even in the good time. We're here now. I don't care what time it is. I don't care where you're at. If I got to walk to get there and stuff, I'll be, I'll, we're here. Why? That's my boys. And you know what? They feed me by their presence. They feed me by just trust. That's daddy. I'm all right. I'm with mom. I'm with dad now. I'm fine. No matter what's going on, if it's a bad day at work, bad day at school, they get with us. It's like, it, it, it's, it's going to be all right. Why? Because they feed us with their trust and dependency on us. And it builds us up to make us even do more and want to be more of a blessing to them. So we see that with Abraham. Abraham, what, he was a friend of God, wasn't he? So Abraham was a friend of God. And as we look at Abraham being a friend of God, we see that uh, one day Abraham, I was trying to see if I, where my scripture is on this. Uh, I don't think I particularly have my scripture. I'll have to get it for you in here. But Abraham was always speaking with God, and Abraham had left his home, and he'd left everything for God. And the Bible says one day Abraham's in his tent, and at this time Abraham is just about 100 and his wife is 89, and he's getting ready to turn 100. He's 99. He had been believing for 30 years for a son that came from them so he could, that son could carry on this dream and vision that he would be the father of many nations for God. And one day, they came and got him and said, Hey, Abraham, to his big massive tent, and said, Hey, Abraham, said, uh, 
Somebody's out here that, that says God, and there's these two big guys with him, saying they're angels. Abraham didn't question his servants. He runs out and begins to give thanks and glorify God and to glorify his angels. And he said, servants, go get the stuff. Get this. He said, you must come in. He said, we must wash your feet. That's worship. We must wash your feet and feed you. And it said whenever God and his two angels walked in this massive home or tent of Abraham, that Abraham and his servants washed their feet and they ate together. He fed God. And as God's getting ready to get up, I'm just saying, I, I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about it, man. We, we just put God in such a box. Did you know Satan is not omnipotent, all-powerful? That Satan is not omniscient, all-knowing, and he's not omnipresent? That he can't be present everywhere all the time? The problem is he's present in everybody's mind, and we put him bigger than God. But God is omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, and omnipresent everywhere all the time because he's God. The Bible says Satan grows dimmer and dimmer as time goes by. We make him bigger and bigger because we magnify him instead of magnifying our God. Abraham fed God. God's walking out of the tent. He said, in one year, you and Sarah will have your son. And walks out. We've been waiting 30 years. Abraham said, yeah, thanks, God. I'm 99. She's 89. When Abraham turned 100, she turned 90. Sarah gave birth to Isaac. Wow. You know why? Because he fed God. I'll tell you somewhere else. We even see it in the New Testament. We see Jesus being fed. We see, you know, you're talking about in a natural, you see him fed. You know, people feed him. No, no, I'm talking about in a supernatural way. At the woman at the well, remember her in John chapter 4? The woman at the well, when Jesus and his disciples came by the well in Samaria, and uh, the disciples said, are you hungry? They were hungry. We want food. He said, uh, we'll go. No, I don't want. I'm hungry. I'm like, All right, I'm going to stay here. Tomorrow. Well, we'll just go on into the city and get the food and bring it back. Because they cared more about their bellies than being in the presence of God. And about that time, this little woman walks up with her water pots on her back, like a yoke. Sets them down. She sees this handsome-looking, tall Jewish guy standing there by himself. And with her history, you would know what she would think he wanted. And she's pretty gruff with him at first. And then as Jesus talks to her, she sees he's different. And they begin to talk about worship and they began to talk about different things. And he said, uh, she said, well, you know, while you Jews, you worship down there in the temples. We Samaritans, we got to worship up here at our forefathers in the mountains and at this well, at Jacob's well. And Jesus said, you know not what you worship. We know what we worship. He said, because it's, he said, true worship is what? In spirit and truth. In spirit and truth. And that's the same way our food comes too. Spirit and truth. Should worshipers worship him. You see God is not looking for your worship. Jesus was not looking for the woman to worship him. He was looking for a true worshiper. And he told her about her life and how the husband, she, she had five husbands and the one she's with is not her husband now. And she totally believed he is a prophet. And he said nah. Then she believed he is the son of God. 
And whenever she believed he is the son of God, she took off running into the city. And when she took off running into the city, the Bible says she brought the whole city back. Come and meet the man that told me everything I've ever done. He didn't tell her everything she ever done. He told her one thing. You were married five times and the man you're with now is not your husband. But to her, that was everything. And that day, the whole city of Samaria believed in Jesus. And then the disciples showed up. I'm like, ooh, what's that woman and all those, that going on? They showed up as the woman was walking away. And they're like, hmm, what's Jesus? Okay, standing there with that woman. Okay, preacher, yeah. And then they said, uh, before she came back, they said, uh, Master, we have food. He said, I'm not hungry. But Master, we went, we got food. No, I, I'm not hungry. I have food that you know not of. Chills thinking about it. And hearing about an hour later, they saw the food he was talking about. Through that woman's obedience and worship, she brought her whole city to Jesus in one day. He said, It's not about natural food or natural things and magnifying good circumstances or bad circumstances. It's about magnifying the Lord and his kingdom and doing the will of the Father. He said, the Father's will is my meat. Doing the Father's will is my meat. Doing the Father's will is my meat. You see, we're trying to twist God's arm and convince God to fix us, to help us. If you would just magnify him, things will get fixed. He'll have you doing the right thing at the right time instead of a bunch of stuff that don't matter. But you've got to trust him. I want to ask you right now as we close. And where are you at in this journey? Where are you right now? What are you tolerating? What are you putting up with? What are you? I just feel right now that if you want to break out of the rut of unbelief, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And I'm not going to ask you to bow your head or close your eyes. I'm going to ask you on the count of three to stand up. If you Just right where you're at. I want to pray with you right where you're at. But I'm just going to ask you on the count of three. You, you want to break out of the rut of unbelief. That could be I served God when I was a kid, but I haven't served him in a long time. I don't know where I stand, or maybe I served God a while back, but I don't even feel saved anymore, or maybe that's I've never served God. I've never given my life to Christ. It doesn't matter wherever you are, but I'm going to ask you right now, if you want to come out of unbelief into belief, into knowing and trusting God as your Savior, as your Lord and Savior, on the count of three, stand up right where you are. One, two, three. Stand quick, quick. I'm not playing. I'm not playing. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You're the brave one. Others, thank you. Thank you. Just stand. We're going to pray right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Let's get ready to pray. Everybody bow their heads. Stay up standing if y'all don't mind. Now, there's four standing as we get ready to pray. Stand up now. Everybody's got their heads bowed. If you still want to be one of those, that make sure that you're saved. You give your life to Christ today, that you're a true believer today. If that's you, stand up. Stand up. Let's all pray with these standing right now. Pray this prayer. Say, pray it. Dear Heavenly Father, I give you my unbelief. I give you my sin. I give you my everything. Father, come live in my heart and be my Lord and Savior. Jesus, thank you for your blood that washes away my sin, that I am a child of God. I am born again because I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Give God a big shout. Come on, give God a big shout.